Destroy All Children is a website just for you If playing with video games is what you like to do Or rotting your brain with comics and first run movies too We've got a great selection of news and reviews So search us out on the web, you just won't get enough Of all our digital madness and other fancy stuff We'll also make you laugh until your tummy's feeling buff Destroy All Children you should go there now. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Destroy All Children. I'm Larry T. Nope. Not starting over. Hello and welcome to Destroy All Children. Knowing me, Larry Davis. Knowing you, George Brundle. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. I didn't actually start over. That I'll leave that in. That's a little bonus. For the loyal okay. listeners, um, that I forgot the gimmick. Anyway, how are you today? Um, eh. Yeah, me too. Okay. I spent a stupid amount of time yesterday playing a video game, which we will talk about later, and I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of who I am. I'm not proud of anything that I do. Uh, yeah, I'm not proud of you either, but, you know, that's how it goes. Thank you. Yeah. Larry, a lot's been coming out about cyberpunk, speaking of things that are not to be proud of. <laughs> yeah. Now, oh I boy, remember this a, time, a time on this podcast where I said, I'm considering canceling my pre-order. And you're like, ah, we got to be able to talk about that when it comes out. And so I was like, we hey, got to uh, talk about cyberpunk. Oh, man, yeah. I'll maybe keep it. And then I saw footage of the game. And I was like, I definitely am canceling it. And I did. And mm. you refused to believe that it could be that bad. Uh, well, no, it wasn't necessarily like so. I was still a little bit obstinate about canceling it just because I had the pre-order open for so long, and because I'm still interested in the promise of Cyberpunk. But then the more I saw of it, and the more that was coming out about the game, the more I was like, maybe I should cancel this pre-order and buy something else. And eventually, I relented. I blinked, and I canceled my pre-order, and uh, I'm very glad I did. Yeah. Not but, happy that I held out so long, but I'm glad that I canceled that pre-order. I mean, with all the problems that I saw in that footage, I still did not quite expect it to be as buggy as it apparently is. Like, it okay. kind of makes you wonder what they've been doing for eight years. <laughs> Making a video game, of course, Larry. Uh... Um... So you know more about the bugs than I do, I think. I've been kind of more tuned in to perhaps like the social issues of the game. And mm. so I definitely have like my favorite single thing of like, wow, you really fucked this up. Uh, but for you, again, more clued into the technical aspect of it. What's your favorite thing? Uh, my favorite is the glitch that Jeff Gerstmann described in a video on Johnny Bomb, uh, where he talks to Jeff Bacalar, and they spend about 30 minutes just talking about various glitches they've seen. Uh, but my favorite is the one where a character apparently is supposed to be carrying a box in, and they, like, glide in with no animation, like, not actually holding the box. The box is floating in front of them, like, moving like it would be when it would be carried. And he just like glides in and then glides away out the frame. Just glide. Glide. Uh, it's a callback to a previous episode. There you go. For the loyal actually, listeners out there. Did you actually mention huh? that on the show? Or was that just to me on the I phone? I think I did. 
might have just been to you on the phone. I think it was. Uh, <laughs> I think it was. Okay. Well. Um, but yes, that and apparently it has the Mass Effect Andromeda bug of a character holding a gun backwards. That is really good. To to talk about the the thing I mentioned very quickly, um, Avery Brooks, who plays Captain Benjamin Sisko on Deep Space Nine, was interviewed for part of that uh, documentary, What We Left Behind, and they talked about his directing style. And they described him as speaking like a jazz musician, where sometimes the only direction he'll give is he'll come up to you and say, just glide. Yeah. So, you know. But anyway, uh, yes, holding a gun backwards, I think, is a great, like, metaphor for the experience of Cyberpunk 2077. Uh-huh. Also, I'll say, like, from earlier impressions, I did not really watch anything about the game until recently. I kind of thought it would be closer to The Witcher. Instead, they just mm-hmm. made, like, a worse Deus Ex. Yeah, so that also was my impression for quite a while. I think I figured out what that game actually is before you did. Uh, but yeah, like my initial impressions when they announced it and for a few years after was that it would be a very Witcher-esque thing. And then uh, when more gameplay stuff started coming out, it did seem more Deus Ex. Yeah. Which like, Which, like on, Ex, on its but... face, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... Cyberpunk seems yeah. bad. Yes, it does. Can I talk about my favorite thing? Okay, sure. Like I said, more clued into the social issues. Uh, I'm just going to read this block of text from Game Informer. What's I've up? I've heard of them. I think they're a smaller outlet. Okay. Uh, but they say, when suiting up for a BD, especially with Judy, V will be given a headset that is meant to onset the instance. The headset fits over both eyes and features a rapid onslaught of white and red blinking LEDs, much like the actual device neurologists use in real life to trigger a seizure when they need to trigger one for diagnostic purposes. If not modeled off the real life design, it's a very spot on coincidence, and because of that, this is one aspect I would personally advise you to avoid altogether. When you notice the headset come into play, look away completely or close your eyes. This is a pattern of light designed to trigger an epileptic episode, and it very much did that in my own personal playthrough. Huh. What the fuck? What? Okay. <laughs> what the hell is cyberpunk? I mean, on some level, like, putting a thing in your game to hack the player's mind into giving them a seizure <laughs> maybe is okay. the most cyberpunk thing of all. Like, this is Polybius sure. for the modern age. That is, that is definitely a way to look at this. Yeah, I don't know. Um, That's a very stupid thing to do. Yeah, goddamn it is. I mean, on the level of, like, dick slider to epileptic seizure... I got Christ. I got no problem with penis two being in the game. Uh, sure, like, sure. I mean whatever. that was that was one of the other issues, uh, more socially bound with the game is is that apparently gender is also tied to voice, and so you can't have a trans female character who has a masculine voice. If they have a masculine voice, they are identified towards male. Huh. And so. People, of course, have have issue with that because if their whole thing is being inclusive, then that is not how you be inclusive. Yeah, why? Why would they do that instead of just like select? Why would they make a visor that gives you a seizure, Larry? (laughs) Good good point. (laughs) I don't know. 
this this whole thing just seems like a mess, and they probably should have delayed it again, but they had to get it out this year yeah. uh, for Christmas yeah. money. It's been eight years working on this game, and where they end up with is Seizure Visor and uh-huh. Backwards Gun. Yep. Holy Christ. And like 50 gigabyte day one patches. Uh, oh yeah, that's a whole other thing too. That the 40, 45.5 gigabytes, I think is the exact number that I saw floating around for that. I think so. Which, oof. Oof. I saw, I saw you tweeting about that, saying like, at that point, why even have discs? Which, yeah. 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 I I put in uh the disc for Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War yesterday, um, and still had to download eighty five gigabytes. So, yeah, yeah. So I look. No, the cool thing also very is very glad on that Xbox, I canceled my pre-order. When I when I'm installing the stuff for Call of Duty, it just has mm. a bunch of entries that just say Call of Duty Cold War, like what. Tell me which one of these is Warzone so I at least don't have to bother downloading that. You know? I don't want any of Look that on crap. on one and just digital Ronald Reagan pops up and gives you a whole speech and that's all the file was. Well, I want to download that one. But yeah. the others, it's just like, there were two that just say uh, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. And then there are four that are just Content Pack 1, 2, 3, 4. <laughs> And it's very descriptive. And then weirdly, I downloaded what I think is the main game, and now I have two entries again in my queue. I have... uh, One is 15 gigabytes here. This might actually... These might be the content packs, because I think those before only installed like 10 megabytes each. So I think maybe it's installing those, whatever they are now. I don't know. They all just say Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. I like when I put the cart in my Nintendo 64 and Glover starts immediately. Yeah, I like when I put a disc in on PlayStation and it just downloads like, eh. Some of those patches are still probably too big, like 8 to 12 gigabytes, but they're not oh, ridiculous yeah. like Xbox games are like this. However, no, at least I... Xbox has a function where uh, you can pre-download games. If I knew this was coming... I did not, because I believe this game was lost in the mail, because it was shipped from Gamefly a month ago, and it just showed up yesterday. Like, the postal system's under a lot of strain right now. Yeah. Yeah. Sure hope people got their Christmas shopping done and mailed, like, three weeks ago, because otherwise it ain't showing up by Christmas. Well, neither of us did, so that'll be great. No. Look, Christmas is coming late this year. That's fine. It both started oh. early and it's ending late. Fine. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Any news? That's all I really had was Wait. I wanted to talk about some of the stuff really? going on with Cyberpunk. That's the news. No, it's not. That's the news. The news <laughs> is movie my theaters famous... are dead. R.I.P. Favorite handoff. My, my famous handoff from the news section is just me going, that's the news. <laughs> Movie theaters, rest in piss. They're gone. Forever. I forgot that this happened between us recording the last episode of the podcast and now. Uh, I yeah. think this must have been one of those things where it happened like a couple hours after we finished recording. It was like right? five days ago. But okay. I, know, it I know it seems much like longer. longer. Yeah. God. 
Okay. Well, I had totally forgot about this because I thought it's something that we must have covered on the last podcast. But no. Nope. Yeah. Um. Look, they took AMC and uh, Regal Cinemas to a cornfield, and they grabbed a couple <laughs> baseball bats. Yeah. Kick them into this hole while they're still breathing. Took uh, AMC theaters out onto a boat. Uh, they went fishing. Kissing AMC and telling it it broke my heart. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, WB's entire 2021 film lineup will release concurrently with theaters online on HBO Max. Correct. So, f- get fucked, movie theaters. Yeah. Uh, well, in, in one way, this pleases the freaks who are like, it has to be watched on a big screen. I uh, have to like, watch Godzilla go... vs. Kong on the big screen. There's, it, it, I'd kill myself if I had to watch it on anything less. Yeah. I mean, sit across the room from a larger screen instead of just sitting closer to a big TV at home. Tenet is meant to be seen on a big screen. <laughs> yeah. And look how That's well why no went. one did it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Christopher Nolan has been <laughs> very outspoken about this whole thing. I saw Christopher um, Nolan holding a gun backwards. <laughs> well, what? No, see, it's it's like it's both backwards and forwards at the same time. Christopher Nolan slides into a room holding a copy of Tenet. <laughs> he says, "Here's the 4K Blu-ray. It costs fifty dollars." <laughs> um, so, tell me about Christopher Nolan's uh, opinions on this whole thing, please. I need uh, to hear what this. Okay, well, hear what he has to say. I, I will find it because there's also a new article that was just published um, an hour and 50 minutes ago uh, titled mm. Inside the Flaming Dumpster Fire at AT&T slash Warner Media slash HBO Max. Uh, it's a very good on, title. This is on Comics Beat uh, because it's also kind of related to the whole thing with DC Comics uh, exploding over the past few months, I would say. <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, and a lot of this is apparently due to, as expected, like the new people in charge, like from AT&T, that are uh, focused on uh, destroying everything. Um, but the big thing is that nobody who worked on the movies had any knowledge of this before the announcement. Including <laughs> uh, the people at Legendary who made Dune and Godzilla vs. Kong who technically, they were actually in negotiations with Netflix, and Netflix was about to buy Godzilla vs. Kong for like $250 million. And Oh, man. And Warner Brothers blocked it. Uh, oh, and were like, man. nope, not buying it, uh, just so they could do this. And That's so, pretty good. So Legendary is apparently about to send legal notices or something to them. <laughs> um, yeah. This studios tell the studios tearing themselves apart is almost as good for me as watching movie theaters die. Yeah, I mean, sure. Burn the whole thing to the ground, like I. So I don't want to make this seem like this is a a thought that came out of my own head. Uh, I watched a red letter media video just yesterday. We're at the very tail end of it. They got the news about this whole thing happening and briefly spoke about it, hmm. and. uh Jay had hoped that one of the things that comes out of this is that we start to get more like 
middle level pictures of you know not just these huge like triple a blockbusters that come out your non-stop onslaught of marvel movies but stuff that is able to be more experimental and exist on a lower budget because it's safer to do that online than it is in a theater where everything has to be this huge to do um, so as as film hopefully shifts over to an online distribution we will hopefully get movies that are willing to take bigger risks like that and i hope that is the case as well would be nice um but a, a big thing about this also is uh about like the crew <clears throat> the crews and everything like getting back end payments for the movies which yeah. might not happen uh, apparently the wonder woman people did get paid out for this uh, but the nobody else involved with any of this did, and probably will not. Yeah. Um, especially because a lot of that would be based on like box office success, which would not really be a factor here. Well, then that's a that's a whole other thing too. Is there's nothing compelling HBO Max or Netflix or any of these services from also sharing what their numbers are. Yeah. So with the box office, you know how well a movie actually did. We're not going to know how well Wonder Woman did. No. WB will say it did extremely well because it's in their interest to just say that all of their movies have performed extremely well, but there's not going to be any way for us to actually quantify that. You'll get some sort of release where it will be like, our subscriber numbers went up by whatever percent or something, and that'll yeah. be about it. But that figure is still useless. Yes. Unless you know like what the actual numbers involved are, it's just a, a garbage figure that they're throwing out to make themselves look good. Yeah, it's like how Netflix will say something like, uh, however many pe million people watched Bird Box, uh, at least five minutes <laughs> yeah. of it or, or something. Like They always have some weird caveat to it. Yeah. Um, and it says, uh, Fleming reports Legendary, the producer behind uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune and... Godzilla vs. Kong. The way that's written makes it sound like Denis Villeneuve is making Godzilla vs. Kong. Um, I wish he was. <laughs> is considering... That would be one hell of a Kong movie. Yes, it would. <laughs> is considering writing some strongly worded letters. Oh, sorry, I said Dune. I should have said Dunk. Um, it's not Dune anymore. It's Dunk. <laughs> uh, I'm hearing Legendary Entertainment either has or will send legal letters to Warner Brothers as soon as today. Challenging the decision to put the Denis Villeneuve-directed Dune into the HBO Max deal and maybe Godzilla vs. Kong as well. On the latter, Legendary reportedly had Netflix ready to pull the film from Warner Brothers for around $250 million before Warner Media blocked it. Sources say Legendary had no advance notice before last week's announcement that both Dunk and Godzilla vs. Kong were part of the HBO Max plan. God. Because, yeah, they're technically not Warner Brothers production, is the yeah. thing. They're the Pokemon company of movie yes, studios. Exactly. Yeah. Second party. Technically independent, but also not yeah. really. Yeah, they're still kind of tied at the hip there. Yeah, I mean, like, another interesting thing about this is just sort of the shift in power in the movie industry uh, when it comes to distribution, because for, like, a long time, it's been the theaters have been kind of in control of everything if you don't have the venue to show your movie through you're kind of fucked so yeah. studios had to pay lip to the venues that's well, like it's symbiotic though like without movies the theaters aren't going to be in business they they need each other they're like uh venom and eddie brock 
right? Yes, I assume you are agreeing with me. And like whether I'm still not sure whether or oh, not that's going to be a good. Welcome back. Hi, hello. Did it cut out again? Yeah, you just went completely Perfect. silent, and so I just uh, assumed you were agreeing with me. No, I I took a beat, but yes, I do agree with you. Uh, I still don't know whether or not in the long term this will be a good thing because we kind of still don't know what all that's going to look like. But I, like I'm hopeful because like my biggest issue with going to see a movie has definitely been having to physically go into a movie theater and put up with all that crap. Oh yeah, you know the so. theater experience is hearing an octogenarian like squeak his straw in and out of his cup lid over and over. Uh -huh. Well, that happened to me when um, I was watching Dunkirk. I bring it up all the time, uh, going in to see horror movies, and some deadbeat parents have brought their very young children who cry the entire time. Right. Sick of it. Sick of it. Sick of being stuck in a box with a bunch of other adults, just body heat billowing to everyone getting sweaty, trying to watch this fucking Iron Man punch a dude in the face. The best time I like the best memory overall I've had of movie theaters was in October of 2012, where I went to see Dread, Looper, and Seven Psychopaths in the theater, and I was alone for every one of them. I mean, that does sound nice. Great uh, run of movies, no other people in there. It was fantastic. I thought you were going to say it was the time where I had managed to convince you to go with me to no, see Meet the Spartans. Absolutely not. And as an apology, I punched myself square in the nuts in well, the movie theater while while sitting next to a very old couple who <laughs> saw this and looked horrified. Well, yeah, that was pretty good. But also was paired with having to watch Meet the Spartans. Uh, yeah. Remember that yeah. part, how it had the bit in the trailer of Donald Trump saying, you're fired, and like cutting Spider-Man's web and making him fall? And that wasn't I do not movie? remember that. No. It it was in the credits. Like they had a bunch of unrelated gags Jesus in the credits. Christ. That was one of the things. That that I think also was oh no. The the baby Shrek barfing on the guy was in the actual movie. You know, Meet the Spartans was really the ready player one of its time. Yeah, kind of. If you really sit down and think about it, there was no more an ambitious crossover than Meet the Spartans. Right. I mean it had at that at that point in time. Asimov uh -huh. from Borat, he turned into a Transformer after stomping the yard. And then uh, and he then... played the Leave Britney Alone video on yep. his TV screen chest. Exactly. And, then and that was, was it, that G was the joke. Well, there was also a GTA bit, I think, before that, because he like gets into the yeah. car and then transforms. Yeah. Uh, you had the penguin from Happy Feet. Um, was it that he eats like a Subway sandwich and then he shits everywhere? Probably. Or he throws up or something, like onto Kevin Sorbo. Who's also in the movie, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Kevin Sorbo makes a lot of great decisions, uh, both in his professional and personal life. I keep tweeting to Kevin Sorbo on, on Twitter, telling him that I loved him in Meet the Spartans, but he will he refuses to acknowledge me. So. <laughs> you have to say you loved him in God is Dead. Or God is not dead. Uh, I guess that's the point of the movie. Kevin Sorbo Larry, is since dead, we're talking about He dies in that movie. Good. Uh, since we're talking about movies, do you want to just talk about The Godfather now, and then we'll talk about video games afterwards? Yeah, The Godfather, Gabagool. Welcome back to the Gabagool Zone, uh, <laughs> part two in our three-part series talking about The Godfather. 
I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Tell Mike it was only business. Get this through your head, you Jew motherfucker, you. You only exist out here because of me. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then when you get the power, then you get the woman. I want him dead. I want his family dead. Goombas. Let's get back to that gobble ghoul. Yeah, I I rewatched one and two, in fact, so I'm ready to talk about the Godfather. I haven't watched them in a very long time. Uh, like since I got these Blu-rays, which are like they're old Blu-rays, they're like two thousand eight or something. Yeah. Yeah, because you uh I think had misplaced some stuff. Like you had thought that the Fredo stuff happened in one and that's yeah, well, all in two. So for some reason I was thinking that uh like Fredo, or no, I I was thinking he said I know it was you to the like Connie's husband, as in like him um uh setting up Sonny, and so then I thought there was like that was a callback to that with Fredo, the same way they do like make an offer he can't refuse. Mm. That's why I was thinking, but yeah. Hey, Godfather Part Two is a really good movie. It turns yeah. out, yeah. yeah, two movies in one, a double feature. <laughs> Yes, George Lucas famously, uh, the, you can find on Wikipedia article that George Lucas, the dumbest living director, um, and generally, like, actually maybe dumbest director of all time, saw a preview of Godfather 2 and was like, there are two movies here, you need to take one out, it doesn't work. <laughs> Why is he Kermit? That's what George Lucas sounds like. He doesn't he, talk like Kermit? Yes, he does. Um uh. And uh, thankfully, Francis Ford Coppola completely ignored George Lucas. Yeah. So, do you want my opinion on the whole fact that this thing's like two movies in one? Okay. Okay, here we go. Because uh, I don't know whether or not you're going to try to kill me after this. Uh, I just looked over and there's a bowl of oranges on my desk. I don't remember putting those there. Weird. Uh. I don't think The Godfather Part 2 is as good as Part 1 because it is juggling the dual storylines. That is not to say that I think Godfather Part 2 is bad. I think it's a very good movie. But I think that one is just that little bit better for me because it feels a lot more focused. I like two more, but it's it's just a hair above the first one. I will say parts of it are... Um slower like the first one despite being three hours like first one fucking moves like there's yeah. a lot happening in the first one and the second one is slower than that um yeah but in general like i guess part of it is that i really like depressing movies in general and two is very <laughs> depressing especially the end hell yeah um, it is i guess like that's maybe a better way to describe my issue with two is that it feels its length whereas the first one doesn't and for me that is kind of the deciding factor between which one of those is like my preferred godfather which isn't to say two is again not to say two is bad two is a very good movie and and for me i think likewise it's that one is a hair better for me okay well Uh, uh, two also has some very weird production issues in it which 
uh, I, I was talking to you, I wasn't sure if the version like you had on Blu-ray was like a newer version than the one I had, because I just got it for you, but apparently it's the same disc. Um, yeah. But there are parts in the first movie that look like crap, and that's just apparently how it is. Because 2 looks yep. really good uh, overall, except for um, some really bad dubbing, and one part where there seems to be a puzzle piece stuck to the bottom of the frame. Did you notice that? Yes, I did. Okay. Where there's just this big black blotch on the frame. Yeah, where they're like tossing so, out, I think it's like TVs or something in Cuba. Yeah, and, and so I I had mentioned this to you. Um, how I was mistaken going into it thinking that this was like a different cut of the movie, that they had added stuff back in. No. This is Coppola's true vision for it. He had to trim things down for a theatrical run. And so I thought that that was some sort of weird artifact on the film from a scene that they didn't use. And Coppola was like, no, for the pacing, it has to be in there. Uh, not the case. That was in just, it's always been in the movie. Uh, and yeah, so my other just the theatrical versions, it was just a yeah. new restoration of them. So, so my other thought was, is he using actual footage from Cuba? And so maybe this is footage <laughs> that he didn't shoot for the movie. This is like some news station. And so something was wrong with their camera, but he took the footage anyway. Yeah, you know, it, it was a uh, is Costa Gavras style and just you know, blending reality and fiction. No. Yeah. It's just apparently, for some reason, there was a puzzle piece stuck to the camera. <laughs> I guess. I, I am genuinely curious what is up with that one specific shot, because I do not know what that is on the, on the film. I, I don't know, I don't it, know it, like, who moves. looked at that and thought, put it in the picture. I don't know, it like stays in the same place when the camera moves, yeah. so it has to have been stuck to the camera. Yeah. Because I, I saw that and then had to rewind, because I was like, wait, what? What was that? It's only for like a second or so, but yeah. I mean, that's the thing too. If you have a big old blotch on your frame and it's only like a two-second shot, just kill the two-second shot. Yeah, I don't know. We're uh, that, that very and, uh, hung up on this one thing. <laughs> These two really seconds out of this three and a half hour long movie. But well, well, that and some of the dubbing specifically on Robert De Niro, very apparent. But also, yeah, uh, oddly, the part where Fredo oh. is in bed with his babe wife. Uh, and like gets the phone call that yeah. whole part did not match up at all it was very yeah. strange that so i wanted to bring up dubbing and robert de niro because did you notice too that they're so he's doing like a a marlon brando affectation yeah uh, because he's playing young vito corleone and so there's one scene where he totally drops it and he just talks in his normal speaking yes. accent yeah okay yeah. I'm glad that I that wasn't just me losing my mind or something. Um, yeah. I wonder if that was just he did it very early or something, or it was like a, a reshoot. Maybe Robert De Niro just did not want to be there that day. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but also, like something I like about Godfather Two is that it is way more brutal than the first one. Um, mm -hmm. Like specifically that flashback where uh, Vito kills Vanucci and just like sticks a gun in his mouth. <laughs> It's like, man, yeah. he's messed up. Vito later taking that knife and stabbing the dude in the gut and then dragging the blade up him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course, like... Dude killed his father. That movie, Yeah, that movie starts with child murder, so... I <laughs> yes, guess it does. You know. 
Yeah. Um, that, and I will say, like, a, a big part of why I like 2 is that, uh, I mean, Al Pacino is really good in the first one also, but in 2 he's yeah. especially great. And the scene with him and Kay at the end is mwah, wonderful. Where he just shuts the door on her? No, no, before they... that, where she tells him okay. it was an abortion. Okay, I mean, yeah, that scene is extremely good, but I also like just the physical acting of the last scene that they have together where they just exchange that look and he yeah. slowly shuts the door. Yeah, that too. It's, but... it's, it's, it's extremely good acting for a scene where neither character says a word. That and, um, well, watching this and recently I watched Dog Day Afternoon, um, and seeing like old Pacino, like not old man Pacino, but a vintage Pacino, yeah, it's it's easy to forget considering how well he became known for going over the top, and I think Scarface is probably to blame for yeah. that. Uh, but well, that's where he realized he didn't have to actually act; he could just show up and <laughs> well, do a gross he... caricature of a character. Well, even even in Scarface, he's pretty reserved a lot of the time. He's not like yeah. really psycho until near the end. Um, yeah. But that was like the turning point, and after that, it was uh, all nuts from then well, on. Well, even like I disagree slightly because he doesn't even make a attempt remotely to do a Cuban accent in Scarface. Well, no. I don't know what accent it is he's trying to do, <laughs> no. but it does not exist on this earth. It, it's very Nicolas Cage like that accent. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I not know, have a I'm dialect coach. Just like in general mannerisms, like he's sure. uh, mostly subdued in that. Uh, and same way here, like, when Michael Corleone snaps, you know something, like, something's really going down. Uh, so I think my favorite part about that scene, so I I know I bring up that, that splitting the movie into these two different storylines that are playing out kind of, not concurrently in terms of the timeline, but sort of like you're, you're bouncing back and forth as a viewer of... Uh, like it, it does a very good job at highlighting who Vito Corleone is, roughly at the same age that Michael is, and just how different they are, how yeah. different Michael has become. And so, Vito does not strike me as the sort of person who would just hit the shit out of his wife. No, Vito is—he's still a criminal. He's still a, a a mafia man doing mafia stuff, but like he's a good person on some level I, like he's, I think, he's still trying to do right by people michael is not that well i will say that Kay loses quite a bit of her sympathy when it turns out she had an abortion and told him it was a miscarriage just because she didn't want to have a son sure like, that is probably just as messed up as anything michael does just in a different it way it is yeah but but um, i also understand kind of her reasoning for it though that yeah. she realizes this this needs to stop and that she can't be a participant in it anymore and that by having that kid she's being about as participatory as she can possibly be sure at the same like at the same time michael shouldn't hit her but also i can completely no. understand why he would like excommunicate yeah. her yes yes i do i do too but I do think that's sort of the difference between Vito and Michael is is that specific scene, Michael's handling of it. And we don't really know because we don't ever see Vito like confronted with something like that. 
No. But you kind of get the sense that Vito's character would have handled that differently. Well, also, Vito was with his wife until he died. So yeah. They definitely didn't have anything that huge overall. Yeah. But I think the main thing, like, the obvious contrast is the way they handle their home life versus their mafia life, which is that Vito yeah. goes out and does the business. Like, he's going yes. out there and shooting and stabbing guys and stuff. Michael does not. He uh, leaves yeah. that to his capos. But I would say, actually, the biggest problem with having the flashback stuff in there is that makes it very apparent that Frank was supposed to be Clemenza. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know what the deal is with that, if, like, the actor who played Clemenza didn't want to come back or what, but... There was a contract dispute, is okay. what my... Re so I read about this because that stood out to me, too. Yeah. And uh, to be fair, it's been, you know, probably a week and a half since I read it, and so I don't remember all the details, but I believe there was some dispute over pay. Is that also so where, like uh, Marlon Brando doesn't show up at the end? Everybody just goes <laughs> off screen. It's like he's here. Possibly, possibly. Um, but yeah, so they they ended up making a different character who is very obviously supposed to be Clemenza. Yeah, um, the the guy. Although who is I like Frank a lot, the actor's really good. Yeah, yeah, he's good. But like he he's apparently supposed to be like a high ranking member of the Corleone family that's been around for years yeah. and working. Who for you them. just you've never seen? Nope. <laughs> yeah, never showed up before. <laughs> Um, also, nice to see uh, Harry Dean Stanton in Godfather 2. Oh, yeah. Which, like, that first scene where it's just, like, in the hotel room, he's just in the back, blurry, out of focus. I was like, oh, man, it's Harry Dean Stanton. Yep. I kind of thought that would be, like, all you see of him. But luckily, you get some nice uh, HDS action later. Yeah. Yeah, I I think the most interesting thing about that movie for me is uh, highlighting the differences between Vito and Michael, and, and part of that too is, well, okay, if you examine who Vito is as a person and the way that he treats other people, the way that he treats his family, the way that he gets his business done, you can see why his empire lasted longer than Michael's. When you mm -hmm. see who Michael is, it makes more sense why everything just completely falls the fuck apart. Michael thinks he is more in control than he actually is. He thinks he's smarter than he actually is. But because well, he's also depending on other people, things keep going wrong. Well, also, despite Vito like getting in the dirt and everything to start it, he was much more focused on peace than Michael was. Yes. Like, like yeah. Michael, there's a point where they say, like, do you have to wipe out everybody? And Michael's like, no, just my enemies. And oh, so... but that's everybody. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know. Uh, and so it just, like, ends up with him alone, as it should. Yeah. Staring out uh, after his brother gets shot in the noggin because he can't even let that go. Well, he kind of had that coming, really, honestly. Look, Fredo's asking for it <laughs> through yeah. most of the movie. But they do, they do spend that last little bit of, you know, other people trying to say, like, hey, man, Fredo's still your brother, though. And like, yeah, he fucked up really bad, but maybe also you're not handling this right. And you kind of see that maybe Michael's coming around on it at his mother's funeral after that talk with his sister, that maybe, maybe they will make like some form of peace between each other. Uh, and then, nope, put Fredo on a boat, <laughs> shoot him. See, I thought that was just like, that was just a front like for everybody else that they would think like, that they were fine now. 
And it, yes, that is actually the case. But oh, okay. I, I think that that perhaps some of that might be colored by the fact that we already know what's going to happen. Well, yeah. I think if you were watching it perhaps at the time, maybe you would have had a different... Like, the fact that Fredo dies at the end of that movie would have maybe been more shocking. True. Uh, whereas for us, we... Look, the boat scene is very famous. Yeah. we, You, you and I know what's going to happen. And so, yeah, the, it all being a front of Michael's is, is much more apparent for us than it may have been contemporarily. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but yes, Godfather 2, unsurprisingly, very good. Next week, we'll get into The Godfather Part 3. <clears throat> Which... I hear Sofia Coppola gives quite a performance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, really something. Can't wait to find out. Like, look, I couldn't wait to find out, like... Oh man, it's that thing that I know about. Oh man, this is how it all comes together. Like getting that Godfather experience in much the same way. I'm excited to see how the Godfather Part Three is is the train wreck that people keep insisting it is. Yeah, whenever Sofia Coppola shows up, you'll be like Leo pointing at the screen. <sighs> uh, I'm interested in seeing any... the recut version. Oh yeah, no, I'm I am too. Like I want to see part three, and then I want to get at that recut, uh, yeah, sometime after. Because I don't want to see the recut first. I want to see the the, the raw, real <laughs> yeah. Godfather part three. Yeah, you don't want to watch the Star Wars special editions first. No. Although at this point, like, which special edition are we talking about? Yeah, exactly. Well, you have to have uh... the one where. Um where Lucas added the scream when Luke falls. That's, like, the definitive okay. one. I want the one where you get a weird alien doing a dance number in yeah. Jabba's palace. That's all of them. That's all the special editions. Good. They should just find a way to cut that scene into all the movies. I agree. When when Obi-Wan and Anakin are chasing uh, that bounty hunter lady and they go into the bar, they should just like pan over and then that band is there and they're singing that song. Yeah, Jedi Rock. And you focus on it for two minutes. Yeah, you have, you have that one guy who like, he screams near the camera and you see his uvula. <laughs> Good use of early CG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rendering that uvula. Uh-huh. Check out how many polygons are in this uvula. God. Hey, you playing any video games that have high polygon counts? No. Okay. Well, what about other video games that perhaps don't? Uh, Crash Bandicoot 4? Alright, how deep time. are you into it? I'm like in the third world or so. Ah! It's good. I want I you like to finish it. the game before we talk about it, because I thought that the game was also good by World 3, and by the end of it, I was praying for death. Well, you're also, like, trying to get all the gems, no. which I'm not doing. No, I was not. I, I did to that point, and then around World 3, I decided that that was not worth doing at all. Uh, but that game... <sighs> Man. The promise of Crash 4 is much better than actual Crash Bandicoot 4. Okay, I'm liking it so I'm... far. Uh, it's Crash Bandicoot. I would actually say, like, so far it's better than any of the other three. Mm, I think it controls better than any of the other three, for yeah, sure. Exactly. Like, it, the the feel of it is incredibly good. 
uh, because I had I had gone back and replayed some of the Insane Trilogy after I finished four because I wanted kind of to side by side those. And man, Crash Four makes those first three games in the Insane Trilogy feel like shit. Yeah, because they always do, like especially one. Yeah, sure. But like when you're going in and you're playing Crash One, Two, and Three, and you're going in that order, it's it's a it's a smooth transition. It yeah. it doesn't feel good immediately, but you get used to it. When you're going from four back to one, it, that is one of the worst feelings I think I've ever had in a video game. Is just trying flash. to jump on a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I I want to talk about it, but I also kind of want to wait until you actually get towards the very end of the game or beat it because i'm curious if your positive opinion of it's going to hold out because mine definitely kind of tapered off the further i got in okay well then what else like uh assassin's creed valhalla which i'm a lot deeper into now i'm like actually in england the game has a really long like opening prologue thing um so they like would now... never do that in an assassin's creed game <laughs> i just uh, that this sounds is, unbelievable to this me. This is longer than the one in three. Um, well, Fuck. Although part of it is because I was like running around the map trying to get everything. If I just went straight through the story missions, it probably would not be that hard. Well, also, I guess also what kind of matters in... I don't know if I... Have I mentioned this before? Um, but apparently the plot like popped off in Odyssey. No. It's like... Apparently that's where all the plot happened. Like I was telling you about how there was basically none of the modern day stuff in recent ones, but I guess all of that happened in Odyssey, the game that most people did not bother playing. Perfect, because um, you didn't play that, did you? No, uh, because it was okay. very similar to Origins and came out the year after. And so I was like, I don't really want to bother with that. So there was a little bit of it in Origins, uh, but Odyssey, like Sean and Rebecca are back now. And like, uh, yeah, they brought Nolan North back to voice Desmond. Uh, Wait, Desmond's still alive? I thought he died. No, he, there are audio logs. Oh, okay. Um, Desmond shows up as a ghost. His dad is there though. Um, and the I whole... think his dad lived though. Yeah, he did. Okay. Um, but like the whole thing with them like forming a team, and so this lady that you played as in Origins, um who kind of looks like Rashida Jones in a weird way. Uh, she's like, I guess, the new Desmond, who is like, her mind is getting messed with by the precursors. Apparently she killed somebody on accident. I don't know. It was an odyssey. But uh, she got like some sort of staff in that that made her go crazy, I think. I don't huh. know. I don't know what actually happened in it. Everybody just keeps talking around it and just being like, you know, it wasn't my fault. What happened back there? And all that stuff and okay anyway well, it's a good uh, thing you had to be tuned into the one assassin's creed that nobody cared about yeah well the apocalypse is happening and there's like satellites crashing constantly now and all this stuff mm. it's like okay sure whatever um but the uh the viking stuff now like i'm at the point where you go to england you start a new colony uh you're like getting supplies and raiding stuff to upgrade your settlement, building new buildings and all the stuff, and it is enjoyable. Uh, still, like the RPG elements are still a little weird, uh, but I also think the whole swerve into RPG was a good direction because 
the format had really gotten stale previously. So I've been thinking about. I kind of think they should try something new after this because even now this is sort of wearing on me. I was thinking about recently of purchasing some of the games that I had for the Xbox 360 that I had gotten rid of over time, and one of those is the original Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Because I'm 100% sure that game does not hold up. It barely held up at the time. It was Mm. incredibly repetitious, but there's this weird part of me that kind of wants to go back and experience it again um, through this modern lens where I would have even less of a tolerance for it. The thing is, though, I wish they had stuck to that original game. Like, I, I recognize that 2 is better, like, it and Brotherhood are better, but yeah. I really like that the first one was more of a Hitman game than anything else. Yeah. I also think that, going back to the, the first one, I would probably be pleasantly surprised about how easy it may be to 100% that game, since it's oh, yeah. not completely bloated with bullshit. Yeah, like two was the one that added like all the feathers everywhere, and it was uh-huh. a nightmare. Yeah, and then of course Brotherhood, you end up getting a lot of side content built around you know raising your kind of assassins army. Yeah, uh, buying up different locations and upgrading them and getting different dyes for your outfit and things like that. Sure, it had all that stuff that was taken from Peace Walker. Yeah, yeah. Look, I wouldn't know about the dies, actually, because I just turned the Raiden avatar on and just played as a Metal Gear character for the entirety of that game. I don't remember that. Actually, that might have been Revelations. I think it was Brotherhood, though. I don't know that there was a Raiden thing in Brotherhood. Maybe Revelations, because I not played much of Revelations. It was one of those games. They did it as like a a, a cross promotion thing where he had Raiden from Metal Gear Solid Four because then Metal Gear Solid Four had the right. Altair uh, costume for a second. Yeah, snake. I remember that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Brotherhood. Could be. But, if it was, yeah. I did not use it because I didn't want to break the immersion. <laughs> I didn't give a fuck about immersion. I don't <laughs> care. It's Assassin's Creed. I don't give a shit. I got to the. Look, I've been playing those games all in order, and then I got to three, and it got to like, oh, this is the culmination of everything they've been building up for, and I realized I don't give a shit. Did not care about Desmond dying. I felt nothing. Yeah. Uh, the right. In fact, skin forgot that happened until earlier. <laughs> it is okay. It looks really weird too. That's probably actually why I didn't use it. It's been so long. I don't. I don't think I actually remember what it, what it looks like exactly. Well, it looks but, real stupid. Okay, I'll have to look it up after this podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I've had such a hard time wanting to come back to Assassin's Creed just because, again, my, I have not played those games since three, and I know that Assassin's Creed is a very different thing now. But three and Revelations left such an incredibly bad taste in my mouth that I have virtually no desire to go back. Yeah, that's understandable. Like, even with one, it is purely from, like, a position of curiosity. I think my main thing with one also was, um, one thing I really liked about was that climbing in it felt like a puzzle. Like, trying to find, like, where's the handhold and try and move up things. And uh, Whereas, like, from, I'm gonna say, eh, 
Revelations, because that was the hook blade, obviously. Um, and yeah. from, like from there on, it was basically just completely automatic. Yeah. Jump up the building. Well, you know, Uncharted Two happened around that time, didn't it? Because I think that that would have been the thing that sort of changed the design ethos behind climbing in games, because Uncharted highlighted everything. Yeah. And Uncharted, it wasn't really a puzzle at all. It was just a very basic mode of reversal that allowed you to get some cool set piece stuff in the game. And sure. so I would think that, like, you know, Ubisoft looked at what Uncharted was doing and decided to dumb down the climbing. And, you know, Assassin's Creed also got to the place where everything that you could climb was very well, like, communicated. Maybe. Um, but... Maybe not to the degree that it was in Uncharted 2, where everything you could climb on was painted yellow for some reason. But. <laughs> yeah. Like now the game's like a from origins on, it's just like anything you see, you just run up to it and you can climb it. Like you just climb yeah. up completely vertical you see that, cliffs. It doesn't matter. You see that mountain over there, you can climb it. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it, like I think part of it for me too is that my patience for these open world games has really gotten thinner and thinner over time. And I think part of that is just me becoming busier in real life and you know having to work a job and then i get exhausted and when i sit down i don't want a bunch of like menial tasks to do in my video game sure like i want a very focused experience that just it feels good i could play it for a couple hours and then step away that's how i feel um, about jrpgs you do not want to mess with them yeah there are still certain games where I'm willing to sit down and put that time in, and, and sometimes it's just I have to be in the right mood for it. Like, I'm excited for Far Cry 6, and Far Cry 6 is going to be that. Um, yeah. But generally, I'm like I'm not as willing to just dive into those games as I used to be. And and so that that is, again, like kind of thinking back to the original Assassin's Creed, and if they had pushed more in a Hitman direction with that, how good that would have been versus going into this deep, like, RPG, RPG mechanic-riddled open-world game with a million different things to do. Like, a very focused Assassin's Creed that is more about the ingenuity of... the ingenuity of killing your targets and, like, having that be the focus of it. Like, the different ways you can approach a target and actually kill them versus what assassin's creed actually is like i want that well it's also weird because in that first one like a huge part of it was splitting into crowds like that was like the big thing in it and they like completely abandoned that basically with two yeah but hey look hitman 3 is coming out yeah. in like a month so i'm going to get that game i'm going to get the sort of game that i want i'm, I'm glad yes. that io is is making what i need Yes. Thank you, Io. Yeah. Thank you, Io. I hope your James Bond game is good. I have no reason to doubt that it will be. But, you know, I've been playing a video game as well. What? Uh, So I bought Sonic Forces. For, t for $20. Why? Did you read the description of I last week's podcast? I did, yes, and that's why I was like, well, I need to play the game before we record the next podcast. <laughs> that was not the idea. <laughs> it was to say you have a problem. 
My problem is that I beat the entire game in one sitting, and I damn near got the... I'm halfway through getting the Platinum Trophy also after only about a day of playing it. I, I spent a ridiculous amount of time in it yesterday because I had nothing else to do. Sonic Forces is a video game, and I'm kind of not sure what to make of it. I had a sort of a similar situation to this, except it was me playing Resident Evil 2, uh, which... I'm going to say, is a better game than Sonic Forces, even though I haven't played it. Yeah, probably. I'd say definitely, actually. Okay. Uh, so Sonic Forces is, as of right now, the most recent 3D Sonic uh, like mainline game. They have not made another one for quite some time, partly due to COVID sort of fucking with Sega's plans. They've been very open about that. Part of it, I think, is that Pretty sure Forces did not sell well. Have any I don't of think them people sold bought well? this game. Like in a long Sonic, time? Sonic Mania sold incredibly good. Uh, I mean, beside Mania. Besides Mania, they've been having, uh, they've been making progressively less yeah, on like, each title. I, like, I say this because I know like Sonic Boom was a huge flop. Yeah, but with Forces, it's especially damning because Forces was released for basically everything. It came out on Switch, it came out on Xbox, came out on PlayStation. Uh, whereas, like, the last big one before this was Lost Worlds, which also didn't do well, but, like, it was released for the Wii U. So, like, to some degree, you could say part of the problem with the sales of that game was just how limited the release was. Yeah, that was um, the last one? It was the last one before Forces. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Larry Davis of DestroyOurChildren.com. <laughs> oh boy, indeed. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, it's an Sonic... event. A Sonic game only comes out every few years. At this point, the Sonic game only comes out whenever they have an anniversary for Sonic the Hedgehog. Like that actually, because this released on uh, within the anniversary timeline as Sonic Mania did. Uh, which Sonic Mania definitely feels like more of an anniversary. Like, hey, we're celebrating what this franchise is and what it was sort of thing. Uh, but presumably the next game will not come out until like the next anniversary because they do these in like five-year increments. And so like, I guess that's just the release schedule of Sonic the Hedgehog games now is like one every five years, which would be fine if they spent that five years making a good video game, but they don't seem to be interested in that. It's like cyberpunk, so just... like they wait till a year before it's supposed to come out, and they're like, oh shit! Uh, so when you together. customize your avatar, I chose dick number two. Yeah, of course. Uh, um, Sonic Forces, though, feels like Sega was panicking and decided to throw absolutely everything at the wall and try to figure out what sticks with 3D Sonic, and unfortunately, like, none of it does in this game. So it's divided into four basic gameplay styles you have uh 3d sonic uh which is basically like the sonic colors the sonic generation style of gameplay except they've dumbed it down significantly those levels have a lot less going on with them they're incredibly short a typical level in that gameplay style takes you like a minute to a minute and a half to beat uh and much of it is skippable because if you just like boost off of an incline you can actually fly over most of the levels just like in so, uh, Sonic Colors. Yeah. 
Except Sonic Colors and also Sonic Unleashed were good about still putting stuff high up in the air so you can continue to do platforming and different tricks. So it felt more rewarding when you just skipped over swaths of the level because there was stuff up there to still do. Uh, it felt more like you were doing a cool thing and that you were breaking the game in a way that they intended you to break the game. Uh, whereas in Forces, there's just nothing up there. It, you just flew past everything and you're totally fine. Um, cool. Yeah. The reward is that you play less Sonic Forces. Uh, <laughs> well, now that's appealing. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it it just feels like these levels, some of them look real pretty. Like the, the aesthetic design of the game is appealing in, in most of the levels. I would not say all of them. Uh, but there's just nothing to do there. The enemies are all like exactly the same. Like they're just... I, here's just a robot with like a circular body and he's got arms and legs and his attack as he stands there and uh, you get hurt because you weren't paying attention and you didn't boost. And like he's just colored chrome and there's nothing unique or interesting about his design. Even the stuff that like is reoccurring enemies like the moto bugs or the buzz bombers, like they dumb down the design. So it's just like, here's a buzz bomber with no features and it's just colored purple. So it's it's this weird thing of sucking out as much of the personality from Sonic the Hedgehog as they possibly can. It's it's so strange. It it feels like they had no budget to make textures for this moto bug. Um, I'm gonna but, pretend so, I know what a moto bug is. It's the little it's a little ladybug enemy, the first enemy you see in Sonic One. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know yeah. what they're called. It's like the it's like the Sonic version of a Goomba. I'm guessing, but instead, uh, this buzz, this buzz Goomba bomber, is just there's the bees that like. Those are the bees. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Nobody knows the names of Sonic enemies, except for Coconut and Grounder. They still haven't put Coconut back in the video games. What the fuck? Messed up. Actually, I think I think they put Coconut back in Lost World. Maybe put like a lot of old Sonic One enemies and Sonic Two enemies in Lost World for whatever reason. That Has was like Grounder, the one thing about that game I liked. Has Grounder showed Gra up again? Yes. Good. Yeah, but it's been Sonic One Grounder where he looks like he has a little hat on, not uh, the Sonic Two one. Yeah. What about Scratch? Uh, no. Oh yeah, no, no Scratch. Well, it's Cluck in the video games. He was that guy that comes out of the turret in uh in uh. Wing Fortress, and he shoots the egg at you. He was in right. Sonic Mania. Okay. Yeah. And I think he's been in... I think he was also in Lost World. Okay. Like I said, Lost World brought a bunch of old enemies back. It was like the one thing about that game that I really liked was... They should, the, they should have had like voiced by the people who voiced them in the cartoon. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Look, here's one of the things I like the most about Sonic the Hedgehog is how each zone has a different set of enemies that are uniquely tailored around that zone. And the enemies were always really cool and interesting in their designs. And then when you hit the 3D games, uh, particularly by uh, Sonic Heroes, and they just went with these generic, like, I don't know what's a robot, generic looking robot, and it's the same enemies every single level. Like, I fucking hate that shit. I hate it. Put in unique enemies. Per level. Do it, you cowards. Look, Mario gets by just fine with generic enemies showing up everywhere. I don't care if a charging chuck shows up in a cave. It does not matter. Well, the difference between Mario and Sonic is Mario's, Mario's enemies good. are... They're, they're all timeless. They're classic <laughs> enemies. They're all fun. 
you do not mind running into them game by game. But in Sonic, it's not just that the designs are generic past a certain point, but they somehow keep finding ways to make them more generic. And that's what they do in Forces. They somehow make them more generic. Uh, but anyway, that's the, the 3D Sonic segment. There's the uh, buddy segments, which is your create a character. And in those ones, you have different uh, weapons that you can use, and the weapons both affect how you're able to dispatch enemies, but also how you uh, traverse through the levels. These are probably the most interesting levels in Sonic Forces because there's so many different ways that you could go through them, and it's based on what your loadout is going into the level. Uh, these ones feel the closest to uh, Colors 2D stages, which is probably why they're the most good. Is this retro? And then, no. <laughs> um, I have a better game to talk about in retro corner than this. Uh, I hope so. You have, you then have uh, levels where it's Sonic plus your buddy, and you can kind of swap between them. And so these are basically buddy stages, but they're more speed based. And then the last one is uh, classic Sonic, and these basically play like the ones in Generations, except again similar to 3D Sonic. The levels just seem like they are thoughtless in their design. They're too straightforward. There's not much to do in them. There's very little that kind of distinguishes the levels apart from one another, makes them feel distinct or particularly fun to play through. Uh, and so, like, in general, Sonic Force's design just seems like Sega maybe didn't have much money to work with for a Sonic game at this point. It, it feels weirdly like a budget title. Uh, there's a lot of just like reusing assets from other games. This game doesn't look any better graphically than Sonic Generations, which came out more than a generation ago. Which, th that's fucked up. Like, it honestly just feels like they're using all the same models from that game. Uh, and so, the other part of it is it just feels like the staff working on the Sonic games would really prefer if they were not working on Sonic games. Like, I, I can't remember the name of the guy who runs Sonic Team at this point, but they Yuji probably Naka. should get... No, Yuji Naka wised up and left <laughs> midway through development of Sonic 2006. By the way, I'm just, like, I'm leaned back in my chair now. I'm doing yeah, a, no. this is your style of podcast. Absorb it. Consume the Sonic. I... Part of what made me want to get the game is experiencing it firsthand because I really wanted to see after Sonic Mania what the other half of Sonic looked like at that point. Want to see and how it's the other half lives? Yes, exactly. Not good on the other side of the train tracks in Mobius. Mm. Things are real bad over there. Um, the factory got shut down and Sonic got put out of work and things got real dark for a while. <laughs> Which would you say is better, the Sonic movie or Sonic Forces? Sonic movie. Okay, that's what I expected. Sonic movie actually has like some amount of character to it. And that's the thing that I think Sonic Forces is missing the most because the lack of character is not just felt in the story and the way that the characters themselves are portrayed, but in the gameplay as well. There is just a complete and total lack of heart in Sonic Forces. Uh, 
it it feels very scattered in what they're trying to do with it. It seems like they're throwing a lot of ideas out there and just hoping something catches on, but they're not putting much time into any particular facet of the game, and so none of it feels fleshed out enough. Uh, and it, and it's weird seeing that off of the heels of Sonic Mania, which is a much more focused game by a team that actually had some amount of passion for what they were doing, uh, a game that feels good to play, and it's funny to me how well Sonic Mania did for Sega and how bad their actual big ass like this is our mainline Sonic game fell on its face. And it's funny to me because you know that they're not going to learn anything from that. They're just they're not going to make a Sonic Mania 2. They're going to make like a Sonic Forces 2. I'm sure that is what they're going to do. And part of that is apparently the team that they tapped for Sonic Mania are not getting any kind of residuals off of the sale of that game. Those studios are not seeing a dime. Oh, cool. They got paid as a work for hire to produce one of the best-selling Sonic games and then told to get fucked. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> so Sonic Mania 2 probably ain't going to happen. Well, what, that what sucks a fucking for people mess. who care a lot about Sonic anyway. Uh, what's up for Retro Corner? Sonic Mania, no. <laughs> Boom. Uh, anyway, I'm still trying to platinum Sonic Forces because it actually seems relatively attainable, and uh, because that game is so brain-dead in its design, it's very easy to be very good at Sonic Forces. So, so this is your One Piece Pirate Warriors 4? It basically is my One Piece Pirate Warriors 4. Yeah, okay. I can just shut my brain off and like do very well in it. There's like part of that is doing all the challenges, and the challenges uh they can be as easy as do a spin attack in a sonic stage, which like how the fuck would you not though? And then some of them are like, okay, speed run this stage, but even the speed running ones are like extremely doable. Like there was one where there's two points where if you're boosting and you jump, you skip again, like half the level. And so I got a ridiculously good time in that because I just, as long as I jumped and held the boost button and landed on the right point, it's as easy as it is. So just man, that easy. Pay 20 bucks. I paid my money. I'm going to get my platinum. <laughs> I paid my money and I'm going to play all the video games. I paid my money. That's right. Anyway, I also bought Sonic Unleashed. This is a cry for help. <laughs> you know where I live, Larry. Retro Corner. At any time. <laughs> retro Corner. Go to Retro Corner, please. This is too sad. This is more depressing than the Godzilla Part 2. <laughs> I kiss Sonic on the lips and I tell him he broke my heart. <laughs> I want to just fucking put Sonic on the boat by this point, man. Just I hear the gunshot and I'm just staring out my window. Yeah. Yujinaka uh. showing up at my mother's funeral just trying to convince me to forgive Sonic. <laughs> I don't want anything to happen to Sonic until Yujinaka's dead. <laughs> What an absolute goddamn mess that franchise is. Holy shit. I'm yeah, genuinely is... excited to see what they do next. I need to know. I this need to know where the fuck they game. go from here. Like, this has been I know. the case for a very long time. Yes, but...
but it's specifically like this specific case is man they put out fucking sonic mania and it did so well and then they immediately just shat all over their legs like burned all that goodwill within the same year it is phenomenal how bad sega and sonic team are at putting out video games like the one thing sega has that's going really well for them is yakuza and that's it also persona persona even then like i yeah but like even then i would be a little bit cautious of attributing that full-throatedly to sega that is they made the right decision to buy atlas and they're letting atlas do their thing Right, I, I'm not uh, saying that it is like Sega proper, sure. like they're to blame for it, or like yeah. to give credit for it. Really, the same thing with Yakuza. Like that's all just yeah. uh, RGG Studio doing that. Just but so they got it. Go hog wild. They need to get their house in order with Sonic Team, though. I, I think is the main thing for me, and they've needed to do it for a while. I don't know why they don't just sit down and say, "Hey, we need to reorganize this studio because this is our like flagship series." This is our mascot, and you guys have not been able to do right by this for decades, and now we're seeing, like, diminishing returns on this. Yeah. Because, like, again, at least with Lost Worlds, you could say that performed worse, but then you could still point to other factors. I don't have the numbers, but from what I understand, forces still do not do well at all, and they have less of an excuse at this point. But anyway, Retro Corner. Uh, let's talk about games that are much more positive and happy uh like kirby yeah kirby yeah see i, I like knew kirby. i was going to talk about sonic and it was going to be a bad depressing time because we we're also going to talk about the godfather so i wanted a game that is just very wholesome right a good <laughs> very side pure. scroller uh-huh let's talk about how the final boss of this game is a gigantic bleeding eyeball <laughs> yes that has like cuts open on it and shoots blood at you yeah uh, i played a surprising amount of kirby games I played Kirby's Adventure for okay. the NES. Yep. Which is a very good game. Yep. It's a very straightforward Kirby game, of course, because it's, you know, Nintendo Entertainment System. Well, it was the first one uh, that where, like, you actually get powers for absorbing things. Mm-hmm. It was the ones before that. It was just, like, suck them up, shoot out a star, whatever. Yeah. The first Kirby was on the Game Boy, right? Yeah. Kirby's Dreamland. Okay. I played Kirby's Dreamland 3, which is an SNES game. And it yeah. has like Dreamland 3's like graphical style or its art style is pretty cute. It has almost like a, you know, colored pencil kind of crayon look to it. Yeah, almost like um Yoshi's Island except uh, the game is yeah. way better. Also much more appealing visually than Yoshi's Island. Uh, I like the look of Yoshi's Island. I just don't like oh, I'm saying it. I'm not saying yeah, I'm not saying Yoshi's Island doesn't look good. I'm just I'm saying that Dreamland Three I think nails that art style better. Yeah, I like the pastel colors and how much stuff is kind of washed. Got the big hamster out. you can ride. Yeah, I love that hamster. Yeah, the hamster's name was Hamtaro. Anyway, I also played Kirby's Dreamland. No, I already said that. Played Kirby's Dreamland Three. I played Kirby's Superstar. Yeah. Okay. Which is like what twenty games in one? What did they advertise <laughs> on the box? It's like five, I think. Whole lot of fucking video games is what it says on this box. Yeah, well, it's really like one main game, and then yes, a bunch of extra stuff. But they all feel so good. Yeah, Superstar is really that good. Game, where it's like a like test your might, in Mortal Kombat yeah. kind of. 
You got the one where it's like uh, you're two samurai and like you got to draw your blade at the right time to murder Meta Knight. Right. Well, that's yeah. It's like Wild Gun. Um, yeah. Or Wild Gunman, I mean. Uh, but yeah, like I I always liked in the test your might type one how if you do it just right then you crack the world in half. <laughs> yes. Messed up. Now you also got gourmet race in that yeah. game where you're yeah. racing uh King Dedede. Uh, and then you got that real good song for the Gourmet Race. Yep. Uh, Probably my favorite track out of any Kirby game. Absolutely. Um, and then there's... Oh, I uh, like the one in the N64 the most, though. There's that weird, like, uh, labyrinth-style one, like, almost a roguelike type mode. Oh, yeah, I'm trying to remember the name of that. But, yeah, you're just... You're dropped in this this huge, like, kind of cave system, and, and you're trying to just go around and find all these different, like, food items. Yeah. Uh, and then your completion is, you know, how much of the total number of food items did you find? You know, kind of check them off a list. But then, yeah, you got, like, uh, pretty sure it's just one life. Maybe they give you a small stock, but when it's game over, it's it's game over. You don't resume. But it's also, you, you pick up your powers, like, based on items, and then you can cycle through them. It's not like, yeah. from absorbing enemies. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, like, the, the main mode is uh, that that Meta Knight thing. It, it's basically just, like, a straightforward Kirby game, except it's, like, really, really short, uh, yeah. even for a Kirby game. Because, again, they were doing all this different stuff with Superstar. Superstar was more of a collection of different concepts for kirby rather than a proper kirby game but there's still some of that in there um and like that's it's a lot of fun like that's probably one of the better like kirby games for as short as it is it also has that side-scrolling shooter part at the end uh where you're like rotating around the core or whatever yeah yeah you got um oh what's the dude's name i can't remember He's like the bat guy. He goes completely insane. Oh, uh, Marx. Yeah, Marx. Yeah, it's a really good final boss for a Kirby game. Not as fucked up as the eyeball, but still yeah. pretty up there. Yeah. <laughs> kind of terrifying, that boss. Uh, I do not know what is up with Kirby games having horrific final bosses, but I'm into it. I don't know. Uh, and then the last one I played, uh, which is my favorite of the bunch, and I... And it's not the first Kirby game I played. I played one of the Game Boy ones. That was my first. Uh, but as a kid, I never played Superstar. I never played any of the NES ones. Because uh, no one I knew had them. Uh, I didn't and I didn't play, really have... Um, I didn't play Dreamland 3 until later. Because, um, mm. like, the video store near me never had that. I played a lot of Superstar, and I played uh, Dreamland on Game Boy before that. But um, then there was a... Uh... Maybe I did play Dreamland 3. I don't know. I I Maybe there was a Game Boy one that also had the hamster in it or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know I played one with the hamster in it, but I don't think it was Dreamland 3. I should have gone back and played the first Dreamland, because I'm pretty sure that's the one that I played the first as a kid. Um, oh, and was I Dreamland 2 one? Was it also obviously. Game Boy? Uh, I think so. In fact, that, that actually okay. might be what I'm thinking of. Yeah. If that's the case, I played one of those two as my first one. But uh, in any case, the second one that I played was Kirby 64, The Crystal Shards, and I still think, I maintain that that is my favorite Kirby game. Crystal Shards is ridiculously good. 
Yeah. The whole like combining different powers thing just like opens up how much stuff you can do in that game. Like keeping it as a 2D thing at a point in time where fully 3D games was like all people were really making was a smart move. Uh, I really like that. Like when you finish a level, you get this like little mini game where you can get like extra lives and stuff. And it's just like a picnic blanket with a bunch of different like uh, foods laid out on it. And Kirby just winds up to like jump on something just to fuck up everybody's picnic. Yeah. <laughs> um, the bosses in that game are really fun and imaginative. Like I like the lady who she does the paintings and it summons different enemies. Uh, and then like in the original plan for that game, you would have been able to play as all those different characters. You would have been able to play as D to Day, and uh, I can't remember her name. I think the painter's name is Amelia or something like that. Uh, but they cut that at some point, and instead, uh, the most you get from that is D to Day will show up in some levels, and you ride on him like the hamster. So I looked. Uh, Kirby's Dreamland Two was a Game Boy game, and that had the okay. hamster and stuff in it and i i played that one i recognize it okay um dreamland 3 did not come out this was a super nintendo game it came out in 1997 what? So that's probably why i never played it what the hell is like the when did the crystal like, shards come out when did what crystal shards the 64 game now i'm wondering if the 64 game oh boy yeah wow uh-huh all Kirby's right, coming Kirby in late games. to all these consoles. Yeah, it's like, oh uh, well, uh, Dreamland Two, a Game Boy game, came out in '95. So that makes sense with '64 because the memory that I always associate, like my nostalgia for Kirby '64, is uh, I have two bits of nostalgia with it. The first is renting it at the same time that I rented Majora's Mask, uh, during like a Thanksgiving kind of break and oh. i was flipping between those two games and i think i was having more fun with kirby than i was with majora's mask at the time <laughs> uh, but then my other memory of it is going to a friend's place and the new games that he had bought were kirby 64 and episode one racer and Ooh. so spending the night at his place and going between kirby and pod racing is another like very nostalgic memory for me uh so, like, I have two very positive Kirby 64 memories, and I had to buy the cart. I needed to have that game. <laughs> For this, like, what, and, three hour long game? Yeah, but I did, like, I don't think I paid that much for it. I think I probably paid, like, 10 bucks. I, I remember um, renting Kirby 64 and, like, beating it the same day. Yeah. Uh, which, like, none of the other Kirby games were long either. But. Yeah, Still, I, for a 64 game, at that point, you kind of expected it to be a bit longer. I beat it 100%, which I think probably adds like only an hour or two onto the gameplay. But, probably. Um, yeah, I, I had to have it, and that game absolutely holds up. I think that is still a very solid Kirby game. I enjoy it a whole lot. Like, it, just outside of the nostalgia I have for it, I think it's just a very well-designed Kirby game. Uh, and that one also has like a fucked up eye at the end of the game. So, you know, they hit all the right Kirby notes. It's interesting to me with that, like, um, that generation with PS1 and uh, Nintendo 64 that there weren't more 2.5D games like that. Like, really, yeah. that, that plays to strength. You still get the 3D graphics and everything, but you don't have terrible cameras and everything that you would have with a 3D yeah. platformer. Uh, but well, let me tell you about a game called Tomba 2. 
<laughs> well, look, it's not always a slam dunk. Uh, no, definitely not. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what other like 2.5D stuff was on the Nintendo 64 in particular, because like I, I think that Mischief Makers. Please, uh, is that still sprite based? Yeah. Well, well, the the environments were 3D. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, I guess then in the same regard, Tumble One would count because it also had 3D environments. Yeah. Yeah. Would. Uh, Rayman did that have 3D environments? No. Rayman was 2D. okay. Well, even then, just like 2D games at, at that Nine, point in time uh, was a rarity. One, uh, one that had like some 3D segments. I think have like Contra style running towards. The you camera. can't name a game one and then have it be 2D or even three. It has to be one dimensional. Just feel they're really fucking up the branding on that one. Um, yeah, like. Uh, 2D games at that point were, of course, very rare because 3D was the the brand new thing, and you know, kids they wanted the 3D games, uh, and so like I think Nintendo had even less of them than PlayStation because PlayStation still had some 2D stuff coming out for probably most famously Symphony of the Night. Yeah, uh, you know, even then you got Castlevania Chronicles, even though it's basically a, a re-release like that. Well, was I still a 2D so game that I don't know you it, it really did. count that. Hey, look, Kirby 64 came out pretty late, too. So if we're counting stuff, then we're well, counting it. In 2000, like, there wasn't... Like, that's not super late. Like, 97 for Dreamland 3 is crazy. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. 2000 for Kirby 64. Uh, like, No Mercy came out in, like, 2001, I think. So... GameCube is 2002? I think well, that was... Two th I think it was 2001, because the PlayStation 2 was 2000. Okay. I know that they were still making N64 games for a bit into the GameCube's lifespan, because I know that there was stuff for the N64 that came out in 01. Yeah, GameCube um, was November 2001. Okay. That's probably why I'm also thinking it's 2002, because it's cutting it pretty close. Um, well, November is when consoles come out. Cutting it close, buddy. <laughs> okay. Fine. It's right on the edge of 2002. <laughs> I mean more for me, like, I, I kind of just remember more 2002 being the GameCube year, I guess. I, I don't know. Whatever weird thing in my brain is, is making me think that is obviously wrong. But, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, what other 2D stuff specifically for the Nintendo 64, like, what I have on my shelf. Like, Yoshi Story? Yeah. Yep, that's one. I, I, um... I think that's about it, that I actually own that... You know, not counting stuff like fighting games, which, of course, like, they're still largely going to be 2D. Uh, they yeah, always like kind of have been. Kids. I know there's... Yeah, or... Well, I was thinking more Killer Instinct Gold, but... Yeah, that too. But, but, but yeah, even though there's, uh, you know, of course, stuff like uh, Soul Calibur or Virtua Fighter, Fighter, fighting games have largely been in 2D throughout <laughs> their existence mm. uh, as a genre, but... Yeah, so like that stuff is on. Tekken Erasure. <laughs> Why you gotta do King like that? Hihachi's coming for you. I didn't bring up Dead or Alive, and that's like, that's my 3D fighting game is Dead or Alive. Yeah. Because it had the boobs. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I had that Sega Dreamcast demo disc, and I was just the right age mm. to get into Dead or Alive. 
turn the lights out. Uh, turn the lights off. Shut the volume on. TV off. Make uh, sure Dad don't catch you. For me, it was uh, Dead or Alive three on Xbox. That one added Christy. Mm. Oh, yeah. I just had the Dreamcast for my filth. Ugh. Anyway, Kirby is definitely not filthy. It's wholesome and it's good and it's pure and I love it. Uh, all the Kirby games are just varying degrees of good. I don't think I've played a Kirby game that I've disliked. I have. Oh no, what is it? I don't know. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> oh, it was um, uh, Squeak Squad, I think. Mm. So um, I've not played... Right. I've not played any Kirby game released after Kirby 64. So I've well, not played Return to Dreamland or, that's or any why. other stuff. Okay. So I should I should perhaps keep it that way is what you're saying. Yes. Well, should I play I, Return to Dreamland though? Cuz that one looks good. I don't remember what that or one was. Or am I thinking am I thinking of the right one? A Mass what Attack the most was recent pretty one good. Was? The most recent one was like Star Star Boys was I don't know. <laughs> let me look at a timeline here and I'll be able to tell you. But um okay. a canvas curse was really good. That was on DS. What is the Kirby timeline? Where do the timelines diverge and then what series takes place in the divergent timelines? I, I don't know what bit you're doing. Uh, Kirby Star See in this Allies timeline Kirby was the most recent one. That was okay. in twenty eighteen. Uh Kirby's Epic Yarn was okay. I wasn't really that into it. It was like way too easy. But it it was better than like the Yoshi ones they would do later. Yeah. Um. Yes. Yeah, I, I played that Yoshi one and it was not good. Oh, Kirby and the Amazing Mirror. That one was also I was not a fan of. Um. But there was a Kirby and the Rainbow Curse for Wii U that was basically like a sequel to Canvas Curse and that one was all right. Mm. Um. But Kirby Mass Attack I liked. That's a DS one. Um. Kirby Mass Attack did the theme song to House MD. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I think that every time I see that title. Uh, Planet Robobot. I didn't play that one, but it didn't look super great. Uh, Kirby Triple hmm. Deluxe was pretty good. Basically, it looks like the handheld ones are kind of what you're looking at, uh, and the um, the console ones mostly hmm. ignore. Well, I'll ignore all of them. So that way Actually, I die with the knowledge that Kirby 64 is the best one, and it always has been, and it is the only Kirby that you ever need. Well, also, even what I'm saying is not true, because, like, Amazing Mirror and Squeak Squad were portable ones. Uh, so, you know, it's... <clears throat> the history of Kirby has many layers. I want one of those, like, retrospective videos where it's just, like, the guys from Screw Attack, and they're very in a very boring and monotone matter, just explaining the plot of every video game in a series, but they're doing it with Kirby. So it would take like five fucking minutes to get through. Kirby is a land of contrasts. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, well, anyway, um, I like the Kirby games a whole lot, and I would like to get bored by Kirby. I need you to cut that last part out. I didn't mean to say I went a little bit too far. I may have gone a little far in a few places. <laughs> Why does he sound like Kermit? <laughs> That's what George Lucas sounds like. No, he how, doesn't. How is this new to you? Yes, he does. He, does he sounds like sound that. not sound like Kermit. No, he doesn't. A Jedi Bullshit. just cut through these guys like butter. 
<laughs> I watched an old interview recently uh, with Jim Henson and uh, I think Carson, uh, where he had Kermit on, and they were doing like it was in anticipation of like this Muppets event on TV. And Kermit only gets one line in the event, and so Kermit is extremely uninterested in talking about it. He's <laughs> like, Marshall just Man ask him, like, so in that promo, just like, I'm not talking. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like Carson asks him, like, what do you think of the Electric Mayhem? He's like, oh, the music's terrible. I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, Kermit. Savage. Yeah, only give me one line. Now, what do I care? <laughs> Basically, the whole interview is just like that. It's fantastic. There's a real right. good bit where Carson asks uh, Henson what Kermit's made out of. And so Henson's talking about it, and he's like feeling Kermit's chest and everything. And then Kermit's just looking around like he's being molested. <laughs> it's, God, it's so good. I'll have to watch God this. rest Jim Henson's soul. Yeah. Uh, they do have uh, Dr. Teeth in that interview, too, which I, I think might be the first time that he brought that character out. Maybe. I don't know if like, this event might have predated the movie. The predated the I show? Because like, he was in the show, too. It, it might have predated the show. Cause I'm trying to remember my Muppets history. But I wanted to say that they were doing, like, it started with Henson kind of bringing the puppets out to do interviews and also Sesame Street. And then it progressed to, like, TV events and then eventually a show and then a movie, and it kind of ramped up from there. Because, like, at this point in time, he's also talking about, like, Kermit being on Sesame Street, specifically. Because, like, Carson asks Kermit what his love life is, and he's just like, you don't ask a frog that. I'm on Sesame Street, for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's, like, around that period of time where, like, Dr. Teeth probably would have been a new, uh, a new thing that he hadn't shown off yet. Like, I would okay. think that's the case if he's bringing it out for the interview that it's like, hey, we're introducing this character kind of thing. Right. Um, like, I know Rolf is, like, him... one of the oldest Muppets, like, but I, I yeah. don't really know what the timeline is on a lot of the other Muppets. Because Carson asks him, too, like, what kind of music he plays, and Dr. Teeth is like, it's catastrophe music. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, what, what were we talking uh, Kirby? I probably should rate the Kirby's, shouldn't yeah, I? Yeah, rate the Kirby's. Okay, we gotta go uh, one by one here. So let's uh, Kirby's adventure. Okay, it's like eating a it's like eating a good hot dog. You know, it's it's not you don't make a meal out of it, but it's satisfying. Uh, Kirby's Dreamland Three is like eating a chili dog. It's just that much better. It's a little bit more you know closer to a meal. It's more filling, but it's still kind of a treat yourself thing. It's not something that you want to make a whole lunch out of. Uh, Kirby's Superstar, of course, is like a buffet. There's just yeah. a bunch of different very good things. You can go pick them out. You build your plate. You enjoy it the way that you want to enjoy it. It's all about customizing it to your experience. Um, and then... Um, wait, did I play another one other than Kirby 64? No. I'm having a, I'm having a moment. No, it was just Dream. Uh, it was uh, Adventure, Dreamland Three, Superstar sixty four. Yeah, but I feel like I'm forgetting to bring one up. Okay, whatever. Kirby sixty four is like eating a cheeseburger, double decker cheeseburger with a large order of fries and a milkshake. It is mm. decadent. It is filling. Decadent. You finish it though, and you want more. 
a cheeseburger in paradise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, those are my ratings for the Kirby games, uh, which should make total sense to anybody, really. Yeah. I feel it's a very self-explanatory system. I mean, it's all right there. Yeah. I am a little bit bummed that I'm not getting Cyberpunk only because I can now not make the joke of giving it the rating 20 out of 77, <laughs> which, as it happens, probably would mathematically work out to my exact level of enthusiasm for that game. Probably. Yeah. Seems about right. Yeah. So whatever. I'm I'm I had that in the back of my head for months and now I can't make good on it. So I'm just telling everybody that that was the plan the whole time. That's why I didn't want to cancel the pre-order. I had that one joke. <laughs> <laughs> I kept looking at it go like maybe it's not a $50 joke, but <laughs> yeah. Uh well uh I might end up playing it. I don't, it depends on if like I'm done with these games from Gamefly and they happen to send yeah. it. And then if they do, I'll give it a look, I guess. But I'm definitely not paying money for it. So. Yeah. I, I think one of the big things to push me off of it was, again, Dylan saying that he didn't want to have to pick up a game like it was a second job. And that kind of just resonated with me. Well, and I was so... like, yeah. So that thing, about it, thing. that thing about being like 175 hours or something is apparently not true. Like, that's if you want to do okay. every single thing in it. Apparently the main quest is actually 20. Larry, I'm trying to do every single thing in Sonic Forces. Of course I would try to do every single thing in Cyberpunk 2077. I'm a sicko. Well, it's different. Goodbye, dinosaurs. <laughs> Goodbye, dinosaurs. <laughs> I need somebody Help Not just anybody Help You know I need someone Help When I was younger So much younger than today I never needed anybody's help in any way And now these days are gone I've got so self-assured Now I find a change of mind I've opened up the door What we want is, I think, what everyone wants. Gabagool.